You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. We haven't met. My name's Jamie. I'm one of the pastors of our church, the guy who gets to do most of the preaching around here. And that's surely the case this morning as we move into the season of Advent, whether you're ready for it or not, we're doing it. Um, For those of you who may not be aware, um, Advent is a season celebrated by the church dating all the way back to the fourth century. So we've been doing this thing for roughly 1,700 years. The word Advent derived from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming or arrival. As James alluded to just a moment ago, it's a season meant to focus our attention on the coming of Jesus into the world, the joyful celebration of his first coming on the one hand and the hopeful anticipation of his second coming on the other hand. My guess is that life is about to get really busy for all of us if it hasn't already There are gifts to buy, there are movies to watch, there are songs to sing, there's a deadline coming, we gotta squeeze it all in, recipes to be made, traditions to uphold, and by God's grace, a fresh outpouring of his spirit to be received. That's the hope of Advent, the living God breaking in and breaking through, awakening our hearts to the beauty and wonder of who he is and what he has done, what he is doing, what he will do for us in Jesus revealing to us the wonder of Christmas yet again, helping us to see beyond the tinsel and the the wrapping in celebration of the greatest gift that you and I have ever been given, namely God, a God who's not removed from the story that he's authoring, having entered into that very story as its most significant character. Emmanuel, God with us, a God so filled with love for his people, think about this, that he would clothe himself in flesh that he might bear our sins in his body on the tree. A God who, as we sing every year, rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glory of his righteousness and wonders of his love. A quote that stuck with me for several years now, this time of year, by Robert Weber in his book, Ancient Future Time, he says, The danger we all face as we prepare for the future is the tendency to be indifferent to the presence of God in our plans. We participate in that humanistic spirit prevalent in our Western world, a spirit that often expresses itself in the way we plan for the future. When we think we can do things on our own, we act as though we have little or no need of God. Then we become self-confident, beginning to believe in ourselves and think ourselves to be invincible. When this happens, God becomes remote and even absent from our lives. We may go for days, he says, without concern to hear God speak to us through his word. At the same time, the religious practices in which we engage, prayer before meals and attendance at Sunday worship, take on a ritualistic and somewhat meaningless character. We do them as one might run a machine in a mindless job and they mean little to us. They have no power and God does not reach us through them. They have become dead forms, lifeless and without meaning. To say we did not mean for this to happen would be an understatement. None of us wants God to become remote and removed from our lives. Nevertheless, God sometimes becomes distant. 
He goes on to say, perhaps we cannot trace back to the point at which we became spiritually indifferent, but we know the aliveness to God we once had has dissipated and is now lost in our personal experience. Perhaps we have not chosen to let God be in our lives. We live quite comfortably with God at a distance. In times like these, our personal experience is akin to Israel's before the birth of Christ. It is also similar to the condition of the world today, a world that is still largely indifferent to its creator, the one who alone can give it meaning and purpose. He continues by saying, our lives as well as those in Israel, the church and the world pass through rhythms of cold indifference and then God breaks into our lives and we become open and receptive. In the twists and turns of these alterations, we are called to a new awareness of life, to new commitments, to a new conversion of the soul. Whenever this happens, he says, an advent has occurred. For advent is the time when God breaks in on us with new surprises and touches us with a renewing and restoring power. For the next month or so, we're gonna explore the traditional advent themes of hope, peace, joy, love, and faith as a people living in the already and not yet time in between. The time in between Jesus's birth in the trappings of a smelly stable and his glorious return to set all things right. And my prayer for us in exploring these things over the next several weeks is that an advent would occur, as Weber says, that God would break in on us with new surprises, that he would touch us with a renewing and restoring power, that he would awaken our hearts to a feeling sense of both deepest joy and deepest longing, deepest joy in looking back at the many promises of God fulfilled in Christ's first coming and deepest longing in looking forward to the many promises that await us in Christ's second coming. And so with that said, I invite you to open your Bible to Luke chapter two, verses 25 through 38. That's sort of a camp out passage, but we're gonna be all over the scriptures this morning. We're not even gonna start in Luke two. We're just gonna end up there eventually. So just mark your Bible there for now. As you're opening up, if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be one underneath one of the seats in the row in front of you. You're welcome to grab one of those Bibles. You're welcome to take that home with you if you don't own a Bible. Merry Christmas from our church. Passage will also be up on the screen behind me, the many passages as we work our way through the scriptures this morning. But before we do that, let me go ahead and pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for the rhythms and the seasons of life. And I don't just mean winter, spring, summer, fall, but season of Advent, that it's a, an emphasis as is Easter, as is Christmas, of things that should be rifling around in our minds and working their way deep down into our hearts all year long. But I pray that our intensified focus over the next few weeks would stir something up in us that would continue past this Advent and Christmas season, that we would all the more have a feeling sense of both joy and longing, of what it truly means to be a people living in the time in between. God, I pray that as we sit with your word in front of us this morning, spirit, that you would move in power. I pray that you would give me a feeling sense of the very things that I preach this morning, that you would give us all a feeling sense of these things, Lord. 
that we would walk out of here grateful that we gathered together this morning on this Lord's Day. As I've said before, thank you that, that you've established this rhythm too, this micro rhythm every seven days, which humanizes us. We have no idea how we're gonna feel when we wake up on any given Sunday morning, whether we're gonna bring intense lows into this building or intense highs or some sort of both and mixture. And yet you meet us every time we come into this place through the many means of grace that are ours for the taking, the Lord's Supper, the preaching of your word, the fellowship of the saints, the collective song of the church. Pray that these things wouldn't be lost on us this morning. Lord, would you do that very thing that I mentioned just a moment ago, my prayer for us in exploring these things over these coming weeks. Would you break in on us with new surprises Would you touch us with a renewing and restoring power? Would an advent occur, Lord? Do you awaken our hearts? Pray these things in the name of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to begin this morning with a question. Did you know that before there was sin, there was hope? Ask that again. Did you know that before there was sin in the world, there was hope? That the divine drama of redemptive history, this story that the Bible's telling, it requires a stage, just like every good story requires a setting. Without a stage, there is no Bethlehem. Without a stage, there is no Golgotha. Without the forming of trees, there is no forming of a Roman wooden cross so that the hope of a coming savior can be traced back to the story of creation before sin ever entered the world. God's shaping of the cosmos into a theater, the very stage upon which Jesus would take on human flesh, the very stage upon which Jesus would die in the place of sinners like you and me. But it goes back even further, the hope of Advent, the hope of Christmas, a hope that that finds its earliest beginnings in the mind of God before the foundation of the world. Some of you, you've been around when we've talked about this before, when we've looked at passages like 2 Timothy 1, verse 9, which says that God saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave to us in Christ Jesus before the ages began which can also be translated before times eternal. Or how about Revelation chapter 13, verse eight? All who dwell on earth will worship it. That is the beast. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the lamb that was slain. The before the world as we know it ever existed, there was a book and it was entitled the book of life of the lamb that was slain, or another way we could define that book or name it, the book of the crucified Jesus. That God already had in view the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger before creation. God already had in view the hanging of the crucified Jesus on a Roman wooden cross before the world was made. That Advent has been in the mind of God since before the foundation of the world. So that before there was Ever even sin, there was hope, the hope of Christmas. And yet, when we sing of hope this time of year, 
We sing on the other side of a fallen humanity. We all know this. A thrill of hope. The, the what? The weary world rejoices. The world wasn't always weary. Once a perfect utopian garden sanctuary, a world filled with goodness and beauty, a world without fear and shame, a world without suffering and death, a perfect relationship with the God who created it all, a world in which everything sad was actually untrue. It makes the unraveling of the story in Genesis 3 all the more devastating, doesn't it? As the first human beings to inhabit the theater of God chose to sin against God. And in an instant, the world as we know it was forever changed. A world now ravaged by the effects of the fall. A world droning for redemption. Genesis 3, it's packed with devastating news that ripples out into present day experience. It's not an incredibly fun chapter of the Bible to read for for those of us who have any sense of the brokenness that fills this world, it at least explains it. Speaking of hope, think about the hopelessness that our first parents must have felt as their eyes were opened and they realized what they had done. The first moment of hopelessness that humanity had ever known. Hopelessness, it, it grasps, it claws, doesn't it? in an effort to try to fix what's broken, whether it be a difficult relational family dynamic, perhaps an unforeseen financial hardship that claws back to a particular bank balance, maybe a medical diagnosis that claws to try to get some sort of control in one's own hands to fix what's broken in the human body. Trying to fix what's broken, it can give us a sense of hope which helps to explain why our first parents made themselves loincloths of fig leaves and attempt to bring hope into a hopeless situation, to deal with the hopeless feeling of shame and exposure. And yet they knew that their own attempts to fix what, what was broken wasn't sufficient. As we're told that upon hearing the sound of the Lord in the garden, they hid themselves among the trees. Why hide yourself among the trees while covered in fig leaves? Why do you need to do that unless you realize that fig leaves are insufficient to deal with, with the problem? So that they were right back to a place of hopelessness, a place of despair, ashamed and exposed. And it was something that they themselves couldn't fix. And yet I love the way the story is presented to us. If you go on to read Genesis 3, as God doesn't leave them in their hopelessness for very long, does he? He would have been perfectly just to do so, by the way, to let his treasonous image bearers sweat it out, to sit with an unbearable despair in the pit of their stomachs for at least a few chapters. And yet we're told that before he even dished out the consequences of their sin to them, he gave them hope. The hope of Advent, the hope of Christmas. A hope finding its earliest beginnings in the mind of God before the foundation of the world, yes, but a hope that first came to us, a fallen humanity, in the form of a promise, a promise that many of you know well. Genesis chapter three, verse 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. 
And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. It's what theologians refer to as the proto-euangelion. It's the first announcement of the good news, the gospel. The famous declaration that, that God made to Satan in response to sin's entrance into the world by way of the serpent siren song. Not only identifying Satan here in Genesis 3 to be the villain of this story, but also offering the promise of a serpent-crushing hero to come. One of Eve's descendants, whose defeat of the, the villainous serpent wouldn't come without the bruising of the hero himself. In order to be bruised, you must take on a bruisable body. Where do we first see that bruisable body? Answer, wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So that the story of Christmas, it's the story of the fulfillment of a promise made in a garden so very long ago. The first in a sea of promises and prophecies, types and shadows filling the Old Testament all pointing to the hope of a coming Messiah. Yes, the Old Testament is about Jesus too. Imagine the, the longing and anticipation that must have filled the hearts of, of so many for generations upon generations upon generations between the loss of Eden and the birth of Christ. Many along the way losing heart. Others continuing to trust in the promises of God all the way up to the moment that Christmas came when the light of Christ entered the darkness of our fallen world. Those like Zechariah, who never stopped hoping. Zechariah's song of thanks and praise, beginning with these words, Luke chapter one, verses 68 through 70. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. Right? Zechariah knew that the story of Christmas is a story that God had already begun to tell long before the miracle of a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. As did both Simeon and Anna, who never stopped waiting for the fulfillment of the promises of Christmas. Picking up where I invited you to open your Bibles this morning, Luke chapter two, verses 25 and 26. Luke says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Simeon was a, a righteous and devout man who waited expectantly for God to fulfill his promise in the coming of the Messiah, a man of hope, promised by God that he would see the promised Messiah before tasting death. Each and every day, a day filled not only with anticipation, but wonder, and two, reverence and obedience, always and forever, a moment away from seeing Jesus face to face. Can you imagine? Until the day that someday became this day, the day that the newborn Jesus was brought to Jerusalem to be presented to the Lord, as Luke goes on to tell us, and he came in the spirit, Simeon did, into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus, that is Mary and Joseph, to do for him according to the custom of the law, 
he took Jesus up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. The day that Simeon not only saw God's salvation, but held God's salvation in his very arms, giving rise to a song of praise because the gospel, as I've said in the past, is and must be a musical. It's not enough to say what God has done in Christ. It must be sung. After all the the hoping, after all the waiting, able to die in peace, Simeon was, having cradled the prince of peace. But lest we think that Simeon was the only eager one in Jerusalem that day, Luke goes on, skipping ahead to verse 36. And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day, And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. We know just as little about Anna as we do Simeon. What we do know is that here we have another religiously devout Jewish person expressing gratitude for the coming Messiah and evangelizing all within earshot. The earliest chapters of Luke's gospel account giving examples of faithful Jewish people hoping in the coming Messiah. That Simeon was righteous and devout. Anna worshiped with fasting and prayer night and day, verse 37, both filled with expectation, both filled with hope. Anna carrying that hope to the age of 84, at least. You can just picture Simeon showing up at the temple each and every day, looking into the eyes of of any and all newborn babies, wondering if this is the day that God's promise is going to come true, the promise of looking into the eyes of Jesus. Simeon and Anna, both determined and unwavering in their eager expectation and hope that the Messiah would come. In the midst of a a seemingly hopeless moment in redemptive history, mind you, 400 years of prophetic silence and darkness. That's a long time. Their hearts set on God and his redemptive promises while so many around them were distracted by the tinsel of the world, you might say. What a wondrous thing it, it must have been after all those years of fighting not to lose heart, to look upon the newborn Jesus and to know that God's promised advent was upon them. A thrill of hope, their weary hearts rejoicing. Song of Christmas. Christ our hope, having come to rescue us from the hopelessness of our sin. J.I. Packer writes, The Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later, he might hang on a cross. If some of us don't hear anything else this morning, hear this. 
that God is pleased to pardon the iniquity of rebellious sinners, counting them righteous in his sight. He's pleased to do that even now, but not on the basis of human merit, not on the basis of intrinsic lovability, not on the basis of moral fiber. God's rescue mission, it's not about impressing some divine elf on the shelf. The truth of Christmas is that Jesus was born to die. The hope of a sinful, ruined humanity, the story of a cradle leading to a cross and ultimately to a crown, that lost sinners might be saved by grace and grace alone, that Christmas, I say this every year, it's an indictment before it's a joy. It's a declaration that we like sheep have all gone astray, Isaiah 53, without any one exception. But there's good news for a world of lost sinners. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That yes, we're far more sinful than we ever imagined, but we're also far more loved than we ever dared dream. That Jesus came to give hope to the hopeless. The hope of salvation, hope for a train-wrecked humanity, hope of pardon, hope of peace with God. The season of Advent, it invites us to look back in joyful celebration on the gifts of Christmas past, the many promises fulfilled, the many hopes met in the first coming of Christ. And so celebrate and celebrate often the birth of Jesus. But Advent too reminds us as I've said before, that we live in the already and not yet time in between. That we're not unlike God's people in the Old Testament in the sense that we long for something better, something future, something beyond the, the siren songs of sin and temptation, something beyond the present pain, sorrows, and sufferings and injustices of this world. That we still live outside of Eden, the world as we know it, it's filled with the thorns and thistles of financial hardship. A world filled with miscarriages and labor pains. A world filled with loneliness and betrayal. A world filled with sickness and even death. Many of those very things contributing to the enhanced sadness that many experience this time of year. And this will be the second thing if you hear nothing else. Hear this. God knows and God deeply cares. How do I know that he cares? Because Christmas is not a story of a deistic God. Christmas is the story of a God who's not removed from our weary world. He didn't set the clock ticking and check out on us. No, Christmas is the story of a God who entered into our weary world and experienced it for himself. A God who's sympathetic to our sorrows and sufferings a God who knows from the inside what it is to live outside of Eden. And two, with that, with his sympathy, a God of his word, a God who can be trusted, a God in whom we can hope because his promises always come true. That as God promised to send his son the first time, so he has promised that Christ will come again. And so we can look forward, not, not in a spirit of wishful thinking. That's not what Christian hope is. 
but a, a true and real and rooted hope, knowing that, that all of our hopes in Christ will be fully and finally realized someday. A day when, when sorrow and sighing will be swallowed up in gladness and joy. To use Paul's language, a weight of glory that no one can take from us. We who are united to Jesus by faith. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The new and glorious morn of the first advent, yes, but there's a new and glorious morn that's coming, this future, the second advent. As Paul writes in Titus chapter two, verses 11 through 13, for the grace of God has appeared, the first advent, the birth of Christ, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the second advent, the return of Christ, the appearing of the glory of our great God and savior, Jesus Christ. That, that yes, we celebrate the inauguration of God's kingdom in the first coming of Jesus, the birth of Christ, our savior. But we also look forward with great longing, great hope to the day when heaven's king will return to fully and finally fulfill our every longing in the consummation of his eternal kingdom. And we wait with the anticipation of a child waiting for Christmas day because we know that we haven't yet received all the gifts that are under the tree. The promised gifts of Christmas future for we who belong to Jesus so that my prayer for us as a church is that we would be a people of hope like Simeon and Anna. Speaking of Anna, as we close this morning, I wanna point out something that doesn't get quite as much press in this passage, this Luke 2 passage. Coming back to verse 38. And coming up that very hour, she, Anna, began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. To all who were waiting for God's promised redemption. You see it? That Anna wasn't alone. That she was surrounded by others who too hoped. Helping she herself to keep hoping in the midst of the four centuries long darkness that, that you and I, we live in a world darkened by sin ourselves. Our hearts weighed heavy by the difficulties and sorrows of a life lived outside of Eden. Tempted to isolate ourselves from others when things feel most hopeless. Why do we do that? When the gift and blessing of a hopeful fellowship is what we most deeply need. The gift and blessing of the church. Together longing and hoping for the coming of Christ. The second advent, steeping in God's word together, soaking in God's promises together, singing of God's goodness and grace together. My goodness, I stopped singing for, for just a few seconds there as we sang Oh Holy Night together just to listen to all of you so, so that some, some hope might be fanned into flame for me. Singing together, reminding each other of the hope that's ours in Jesus. 
helping each other to live each day with anticipation, helping each other to live each day with a sense of wonder that like Simeon, today could be the day that we look into the eyes of our blessed Savior and King that today could be the day that salvation holds us in his arms. We might not even make it to Christmas. Let's give to each other and receive from each other those incredible gifts of Christmas present, the grace of God and the fellowship of his hopeful redeemed to help each other keep hoping as we look back in joyful celebration of the first coming of Christ and look forward to the story of Christmas that will continue on into eternity when Jesus returns to set all things right. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.